Hey, let's pray and we'll get started. Good to be here this morning. We're in a season of thankfulness and we have so much to be thankful for. I just think of those passages where you said to be thankful in all things and in everything. And we are truly thankful for that. As we get ready here for the Christmas season, help us to keep our heart, mind, and soul focused on you and you alone. But for right here, right now, let your Holy Spirit lead and teach and just help us to listen, Lord. to Give us ears to hear in your name. Amen. If you weren't with us last week, we did Acts chapter 12. And we talked about James being martyred, and we talked about Peter being in prison, miraculously freed. But one of the key things we talked about was prayer, because the Bible says that prayer, constant prayer, was offered up for Peter. So if you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to listen to that online. Grab a copy of the CD, because we taught on prayer. If you've ever had any questions about what prayer looks like, true biblical prayer looks like. Now, what we're going to do here as we get into Acts chapter 13, is we're going to talk about knowing God's will for your life. This is a question that I get asked a lot. How do we know God's will for our life? If you've ever wanted to know what God's will is for your life, what your calling is in your life, what is your ministry, this is what we want to talk about here this morning. This is a great, simple passage. We're only going to do about five verses, but it's about knowing God's will, knowing your calling, and knowing your ministry, and then applying that to our lives. So with that being said, we're going to pick up here in verse 25 of Acts 12 and go to verse 4 of Acts 13. It says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Keep your hand here in Acts 12. Jump back just a couple chapters, if you will, to Acts 9 real quick. Acts 9, I want to remind you of what Paul said here after he met Jesus on the road. Look at verse 6. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, if you were with us when we went through that, we talked about how that's a life-changing prayer. And we asked, have you ever really prayed that? Well, a lot of times we pray, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? Lord, what do you want me to do with this? But truly, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Because now it's no longer my life, it's your life. Think of all the verses in the Bible. The Bible says that you are now a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. You have died to yourself. You have died to everything. You've given it completely over to the Lord. So, Lord, what do you want me to do? Charles Spurgeon used to say this. He used to say that when somebody got saved so often, they would come to him and ask, what am I supposed to do? Maybe they were a teacher. And the assumption at the time was, well, if you were a teacher, just become the best Christian teacher you can for the Lord. Maybe they were a machinist, become the best Christian machinist. Maybe they were a farmer, become the best Christian farmer. Spurgeon went one step deeper. He said, no, 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 hold on a second. The Bible says you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. The Bible says that old man has actually died, and you're a brand new person. He goes, you need to start from scratch. What does the Lord want you to do? So often we have a vision and a pattern and a plan for our lives, and we ask God to kind of nicely work into it. What we're seeing here in the Bible is, no, it's not my plan in any way whatsoever. So Lord, what do you want me to do? So when you want to know God's will, when you want to know what your purpose and calling in life is and your ministry, here are the verses that goes along with this. So with that being said, let's break this down. Verse 25 of Acts 12. First thing you see them doing is fulfilling their ministry. 
Look at that phrase there in the middle of 25. They fulfilled their ministry. You have a ministry. That's what you're supposed to do. Now, that word ministry, the problem is we think of it differently. We think of ministers. And when people call themselves a minister, generally that means they're a pastor. That's not the biblical definition of the word. The biblical definition of the word ministry means to serve. So everyone here this morning, if you want to serve the Lord, you are a minister. Congratulations, you have been promoted. So you are a minister for the Lord. So therefore, serve him and fulfill that. But what's it mean to fulfill that? Can you put those verses up there for me, Alan, real quick? What does it mean to fulfill what the Lord has asked us to do? Look at these passages. First one, Colossians 4.17. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. 2 Timothy 4. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You have a ministry. Fulfill it. Lastly, 2 Thessalonians Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling so you're called and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. You have a calling, you have a ministry, and he's asking you to fulfill it. One of the themes that we're going to build up this morning and we're going to end with is there's a lot of times Christians feel kind of weak, they kind of feel unfruitful, they kind of feel dry, Because even though they know Jesus Christ, even though they know they're saved, they're not fulfilling the ministry God gave them. And so therefore, there's an emptiness to their walk in faith. So they see this and they know there's more, but to get to more means you have to die to yourself. And that's a hard thing to do. And we're going to build on that. But the first point you see is fulfilling your ministry. And once you fulfill your ministry, what do you do? God, what's the next task? So I do job one. I can fulfill that ministry. Now I come right back and say, Lord, what do you want me to do next? The way we clean the house at the Irvine household is this, that the boys come and they get a job. And once they do that job, they're supposed to come back to mom or me and ask for another job. Now there's a couple boys that will go fulfill their job. And then they will disappear for a half hour. I don't know what they're doing. So then I have to send another boy to go find that boy. And so then all of a sudden I'm starting to lose diligence and work because I have people not fulfilling. Oh, I should rephrase. They fulfilled their ministry, but they're not asking for a new one. And then I have people going to track down those people that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so by that time, I just give up and go to my room. But the point is, (laughs) there's a ministry that God has given you. And once you have fulfilled it, once you know it, you just stop back and say, Lord, what's next? That this is Christianity. Lord, what's next? And it's a joy, it's a love, it's a peace. There's a fullness to it. I have found in my own walk with the Lord that when I am not fulfilling the ministry God gave me, I get antsy, I get worked up, I start feeling unfruitful, I start getting all, it's not worth it. I want to be fulfilled in the Lord and the fullness of what he has for me. So that's our first point here, is fulfilling the ministry God gave you. That's what Paul did, that's what Barnabas did. Note, as they were fulfilling their ministry, look what they did in verse 25. They took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, we were already introduced to John Mark earlier in this chapter. Most people believe this is the guy that wrote the book of Mark. And he's actually going to go with them on their first missionary journey. So as you're fulfilling your ministry, what do you see? Take somebody with you. This is discipleship. This is the way the system is supposed to work. Stay here in Acts 12, but just jump with me to Acts 18, please. Acts 18. Look at Acts 18, verse 24. 
Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla, that's a married couple, heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. That's the way the system works. We're supposed to be taking people aside with us, teaching them, training them, helping them grow and go deeper in their walk and relationship with Christ. And as we are fulfilling our ministry, they come alongside of us, and then this is how the body of Christ encourages one another. We've said out here many times before, I would always want everybody to either be discipling somebody or being discipled by somebody. That's the way the system works. How is the generations following us supposed to know what ministry looks like unless we take them alongside of us to do it? You know, if I go to a surgery or a hospital visit and it's not something, you know, really bad, I try to take one of my boys along with me to teach them, to show them this is what ministry looks like. This is what it is. If I can, I try to take them alongside me to hopefully teach them and train them. If somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I want to get involved in the ministry, then, hey, let's start. Come alongside with me. Let's go do some visits together. Let's come out here and do this. Let's start right here, right now, and take people alongside If you have kids at home, if you have grandkids at home and you want them to be more active in the Lord, take them alongside when you go do ministry. When you're going and doing ministry, look for somebody you can take with you to go witnessing, evangelizing, discipling, to show them or find somebody. If you're interested in that and you say, hey, I want that, come talk to me. We'll hook you up with somebody. What a blessing it is to see the men out there ministering with the other men and the women ministering with the other women and then everybody is working together fulfilling the ministry God gave them. This is what you see happening here in the book of Acts. So now as they're doing this, they're fulfilling their ministry, they're taking people along to them, what happens? Well, in verse 1 of this, in uh, chapter 13, you see the church being the church. You see prophets, you see teachers, you see gifts, you see this group coming together now. This is the way it's supposed to work. There are no solo Christians. There are no island Christians. We are working together as a team. So we have mentioned here in verse 1, we have Barnabas, who we know about. He's been already mentioned numerous times in Acts. We have Simeon, who's called Niger. We have Lucius of Cyrene. We have Manin. And then we have Saul, also known as Paul. Now, please note this. If the Lord took the time to put someone's name in the Bible, there's a reason why he did it. So let's talk about these guys, and let's see if we can see they're mentioned anywhere else before. Barnabas, we know very well. Saul, Paul, we know very well. So now we're up to Simeon. Simeon. Now, if you know Simeon, back in the book of Luke, when Jesus was taking his cross to Calvary, he couldn't carry it. And the Bible says that the Roman soldiers pulled a man out of the crowd. One account calls him Simon, one account calls him Simeon, same name. A lot of people believe that the man that was pulled out of the crowd to help carry Christ's cause was this Simeon. Simeon was from Cyrene, the Bible tells us, which is on the northern coast of Africa. And the word Niger means black. So it makes sense that this could be that man who's also called Niger because he would be African from the African northern coast there. That's quite possible it's this guy. Now think about that for a second. Here you are. You're in Jerusalem for Passover, probably because it's a required feast, and you see this commotion. So you walk over to see what's going on, and you see this man carrying a cross to his death that is beaten beyond recognition, stumbling, fumbling, following, And then all of a sudden, the Roman soldiers just grab you out of the crowd and say, go take this cross. And next thing you know, you're face to face with Jesus Christ. And you're carrying his cross to his death for your sins. I think that would make a pretty big impact on your life. 
So if this is the same Simeon, you can see why all of a sudden now he's active in the church. But what about the next guy, Lucius of Cyrene? One commentator said this, if Simeon was so moved by what Jesus did, don't you think he went back to Cyrene and said, you're not going to believe what happened when I was in Jerusalem for the Passover? Then all of a sudden now Simeon is telling people about Christ and Cyrene, and that's where Lucius comes from. What about this other guy, Minin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch? Herod the Tetrarch is the guy that killed John the Baptist. So this guy was raised in the same house as the guy that killed John the Baptist. What an amazing group of people. I tell you, this is the church right here. You got blue collar, you got white collar, and you got no collar. You just got people all together. And you have somebody who is Barnabas, who is known as the son of encouragement, that you just want to hang around. You got a guy that possibly carried the cross of Jesus, and maybe somebody was saved by him. You got a guy that was raised with Herod, that killed John the Baptist. And then you got Paul, who was out there killing Christians. And this is your body of Christ. See, here's the thing. We spend so much time in our life trying to put ourselves in social settings that we feel comfortable with. So therefore, we get around people that we like, we feel comfortable with, we click with. Then all of a sudden, we come to church, and you're forced to be with people that you normally would not choose to associate with. And this is the problem of church. Do you realize how great church would be if it wasn't for people? I've come to this conclusion. I've been a pastor for 20 years. If there were no people, being a pastor would be the greatest job in the world. But people are an issue. Jesus himself threw his hands up in the air and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how much longer should I deal with you? That's your Savior. (laughs) I just want to tell you, that's your Savior because it can get so difficult. So what happens is this. You spend your whole life being told to go to school. And you're forced by, not by your choice, but to be with other kids for 12 years of school. You have to. Then you go get a job that they put you with people that you don't want to work with, that you really don't want to be around with, but you're getting paid to do it, so you do it. So now all of a sudden Sunday morning comes around and you say, why don't I want to go be with people that I don't want to be with? I have to do it all week. I have to do it at school. I just want to stay with the people I like, the people I click with, the people I know. Why would I want to go to church where there's going to be so-and-so that I just can't stand, and I know they said this, and they did this. And so what happens is we don't want to be around the body of Christ. And we see people like this. you got a guy that carried the cross, a guy that killed Christians. you got a guy that did this and that, but yet that's the church, the body of Christ. This is what God has called us to do, to come together as one. Let's build on this. Keep your hand here. We're coming back to Acts 13. Go with me to Romans 12, please, and 1 Corinthians 12. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Let's talk about the importance of the church in fulfilling your ministry. Let me repeat this point again. There are no island Christians. There are no solo Christians. So you can't go out there and say, I'm going to fulfill the ministry and gospel of Jesus Christ, but not be around people. You're called to be around people. We're sheep, the Bible says. Sheep are a social animal that are around people. This is what we're supposed to do here. What does this look like? Take a look here at Romans 12. Let's start in verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. There are many members in the body of Christ, but we all don't do the same thing. This is pretty straightforward. You don't want all teachers, because if you have all teachers, who's going to take care of making sure the church is done? You don't want all worship leaders, because somebody has to teach. You don't want all children's ministry leaders, because you've got to have somebody teach the adults. I mean, there's all these different ministries, so we all do not have the same function. But look at verse 5. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, 
and individually members of one another. So we're one, but yet we're individuals. That's the difficult part. Because we're called to be one. The enemy is going to do whatever he can to separate us. Because we're more strong as one in Christ than we ever would could be separately. I see so many churches that spend so much of their time and energy battling each other. If they're spending all their time and energy battling each other, how do they ever have time and energy left to spread the gospel? Our focus is to be unified as one in Christ than to go out and see the world change through Jesus. And then he gives us gifts, verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. God has given you a gift. We talked about this at the beginning. You have a plan for your life. You have a calling. You have a ministry. You have a gift. We're going to get to that. So what do you use your gifts for? We have prophecy in verse 6. We have ministry, teaching. We have uh, exhortation. We have giving. We have diligence. We have mercy. We're supposed to work together. One more passage on this. 1 Corinthians 12, please. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 12. Start in verse 4. There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. We've covered that. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts, but we all have a different gift. Verse 5. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. We're not all called to the same ministry. Right now, there are numerous Sunday school classes happening in the back. We're not called to that ministry at this moment, but they are. We're thankful for that. You may not be called to be part of the teen ministry, but could you pray for the people that are? You may not be called to be part of the Christmas program, but Tony really looks at it as an outreach for Jesus Christ. Can you pray for that? Those are different ministries that you may not be involved with, but we pray for them. Take a look here then in verse 6. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. There's different activities. We're going to send different groups to go do different things. Not all of you were called to go to Mexico this year on a missions trip, but we pray for those that are. Not all of you are called to go do this activity or that activity, but we pray for those that are. You may look at announcements sometime and say, what's the point of me hearing all these things that I have nothing to do with? Because you're part of the body of Christ, and you pray for those then. You may stop and say, I'm not going to be there for the garage sale giveaway. I'm not going to be there for Operation Christmas Child. But you can pray for those that are. Different ministries, different activities, different gifts. What do these gifts look like? Verse 8, you have wisdom, you have knowledge, you have faith, healings, miracles, uh, tongues, interpretation. Verse 11, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So each one of you individually, if you are here this morning and you are born again and saved in Jesus Christ, you have a gift and a calling and a ministry that the Holy Spirit has given you. What an amazing thing that is. Now, I have to stop at this moment and share a story. I've taught on this before, and I tell everybody, if you are here and saved, you have a gift, you have a calling. I had an individual one time that was animate. They did not have a gift or calling. Animate. And it was one of those conversations where I don't think the individual was really trying to biblically find a solution. I think this individual just wanted to have a little bit of an argument. And so I would say, you have a calling. This is what it says in Romans 12. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians. I don't. I don't. I finally got frustrated with them. And I said, listen, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that anybody born again and saved in Jesus Christ has a gift. The Holy Spirit lives inside of them. I am, and I asked them, are you saying you do not have a gift of the Holy Spirit? They said, no. And I said, you're going straight to hell then. So I know. I, hold on. I'm going to confess here in a second. Because if you don't have a gift, that means you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, don't say it. I was trying to say it lovingly, but I was frustrated. So I went to Richard then, and I told this story to Richard. Richard, are you in here? Richard's not in here. so good. So I went. He doesn't, he doesn't listen to the podcast anyway. Um, I went to Richard, 
And I thought of all people, Richard would appreciate this. Because if you guys know Rich, Rich has no filter. Hey, Rich, I saw you. I know, you can hear. I see you. God bless you. Yep. Yep. So now I've got to tell the story. Of all people, Richard doesn't have a filter between head and mouth. You guys know. Richard just says what he means and means what he says. That's what I love about him. So I went to Richard, and I told him. I said, this is the story I told the person. And I said, fine, if you say you don't have a gift of the Spirit, then that means you're going to straight down because you're not saved. Richard says, like, yeah, you shouldn't have said that. The one, the one person I thought that would back me up on this, I went back to the person and apologized to them. But if you are here and you are born again and you are saved, you have a gift. The Holy Spirit is in you and you have a gift and a calling and a ministry. You may not know what it is yet, but you have one. So all this introduction is to get to the point of, well, then how do I know? We're supposed to fulfill our ministry. We're supposed to take other people along with us as we do it. We're supposed to work together as a body of Christ and gifts and testimonies and teachings and the Holy Spirit. So now, with this all being said, how do I know it? Let's go back to Acts, please. Acts 13. When did Paul and Barnabas get their calling again? Verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. You see three things happening right there. They're ministering, they're fasting, and in verse 3, they're praying. Ministry, fasting, and prayer. If you want to know what your will, God's will is for your life, what your calling is, what your ministry is, those are the three things you need to be doing. You minister, you fast, and you pray. Let's talk about the first one. How am I supposed to minister if I don't know what I'm called to do in ministry. This is the beauty of the Lord. We just read through a bunch of gifts right there. There's another listing of gifts in the book of Ephesians. Start trying them out. I love it. I don't know what I'm called to do. Well, then let's go try it. I always think of a sports analogy. If you're sitting on the sideline and not getting in the game, how do you know if you're ever going to be any good? you got to get in the game. you got to get in the game, and you got to try to make the shot. you got to try to throw the ball. And guess what? When you get in the game, you know what's going to happen? You're going to sweat, and you're going to get hurt. And that's why we don't want to do it. My boys are becoming, as we play football all the time at our house, and our boys, my boys now want to play tackle football. Tackle football. So here's the rule at the Irvin house. We play tackle football until someone starts bleeding. When they bleed, we have to stop. So yesterday, we went out and played football. We got through two series. Lies bit his tongue, blood. We had to be done. And that's why some people don't get involved in ministry. They don't want to sweat, they don't want to bleed, and they don't want to get hurt. So I'm just going to sit on the sidelines and wait till Jesus returns or hopefully die in my sleep at night. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to get out there and minister. Well, I don't know what to do. Take the gifts, pray over them, and try. Try. Okay, I'm going to go back and try children's ministry. You get back there and find out you hate kids. You're not called to the children's ministry. You're going to get up and you're going to try work. Okay, you can't carry a team. You're not called to that. I'm going to try to teach. Okay, you're not going to start ministering. And as you minister and you're out there doing it and you're bleeding and sweating and crying, all of a sudden you realize, this one clicks. I actually like this one. Or, I don't like it, but I know this is what I'm supposed to do. I mean, when I first got saved, what they told me was, because this is what I feel, I think almost every guy when they get saved wants to go into the ministry, to be a pastor. You know, that's just the ultimate goal or something like that. And that's not the... That's not the calling of everybody. But they said this. They said, if you want to know if you're called to teach, start a Bible study and see if anybody shows up. If people show up and they want to hear you teach, you're probably called to teach. 
If you think you're led to be a pastor, go out there and start ministering to people. See if they respond to it. If they respond to it, they're probably called to be a pastor. If they start saying, please send anybody to the hospital but you, you probably know you're not called to be a pastor. Go out there and minister and see what happens. And as you're ministering, you fast. You pray. You're constantly seeking. Lord, what do you want me to do? Because I have died I no longer exist. I'm a new creation in the Lord. So you take me and you just put me where you want to put me. You plant me where you want to plant me. I'm a puzzle piece. Move me wherever you want to move me. And I will be obedient to this calling. And I understand that once I fulfill one ministry, you may call me to a different ministry. That's what we just saw happen in verse 25. But to get out there, you need to start ministering. Another quick story here. This happened years ago. Uh, and, and, this, and this guy came to me, and he said he felt led to be a pastor. And this guy was kind of a fringe member of the church. I mean, they like, did not see him that often at all. And when he did show up, they're like, oh, hey, good to see him. He's kind of surprised you're here. He comes to me out of the blue and says, um, I want to be a pastor. And I, I was kind of surprised by this. I said, okay. I said, you want to be a pastor? Yeah. And he kind of wanted to jump right into it, being a pastor. So I said, um, are you leading your kids at home in devotions? No. Are you doing anything spiritual with your wife in any way whatsoever? No. Are you serving anywhere in the church at this moment at this time? No. Then how do you think you're going to jump into the ministry? What's first pastor of the church you have in your house? Let's first minister to your wife that you're supposed to love as Christ loved the church. Let's find an area of ministry in the church where you're starting to love the sheep and the sheep hopefully learn to love you. I said once that happens, then you can see where you're called and go. So often I see people that just want to jump right into some ministry. Wait a second, we're supposed to be ministering already. And then you see where the Lord's called you. People come and they want to go to some faraway country and tell people about Jesus. Amen, I appreciate that. But are you telling people about Jesus right here in Northwest Ohio? Because if you're not doing it here in Northwest Ohio, why are we going to go do it in some faraway country? I want to go to this faraway country and help the poor. Okay, you're helping the poor right here? I want to go to some faraway country and build houses for the less fortunate. Okay, are you helping the less fortunate right here? What's minister to where we're at and then see where God calls us to deeper ministry from that point. Paul and Barnabas get called to go on their first missionary journey at this point because they're already ministering. And the Lord says, I'm going to call them. And so they're also called through fasting. Real quick teaching on fasting. Fasting is where you let go of your fleshly desires and you focus on the spiritual. That time and energy you would have put into preparing a meal and eating it, you stop and say, Lord, I'm going to spend that time in prayer and in the word. So therefore, I I let go of the flesh and I focus on the spirit. That's what fasting is. And I encourage you, if you do not have a time of fasting in your life, I encourage you. You've got big decisions coming up. You want to grow. You want to go deeper. You've got something really heavy in your heart. Fast over it. Let go of the flesh. Focus on the spirit. And the Lord really moves and speaks to that. And then they also did through prayer. So as this is happening, as they're ministering, as they're fasting, as they're praying, verse 2, they get their calling. Separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. They're called to be separated. We don't like that word. I'm going to be honest. We're reaching a point now where there's a lot of Christians that this is, this is starting to be too much. I mean, the whole ministering, fasting, praying, and you use words like blood, sweat, and tears. I don't really want that. And now we're talking about separating. This is an ongoing theme throughout the entire Bible. is separating from the world. 
that we die to these things of the world. Now, the problem is sometimes Christians hear that and say, okay, now you're trying to become this legalistic Pharisee, crazy, whatever. No. You just stop and say, there's nothing good in that. Why do I want to be involved in that? That action's not taking me deeper in the Lord. Why would I want to do it? Because it's a fruitless activity. It's a fruitless thing. When I was preparing this message, this idea of separating came up, and there was this great quote by a pastor by the name of David Guzik, and he's talking about this idea of separating here in Acts 13. He says this, Before Barnabas and Saul could do anything significant for God, they first had to be separated to God. If you will separate to God, it means you must separate from some other things. You really can't say yes to God's call in your life until you say no to things that will keep you from that call. There's a lot of truth to that. You really can't say yes to God's call in your life until you say no to things that will keep you from that call. We don't really like that, do we? Think back to Peter, Andrew, James, John. Jesus shows up in the gospel, says, follow me. And the Bible says they leave their nets, they leave their father, and they follow him. Matthew, the tax collector, Jesus shows up at his tax collecting table and says, follow me. And the Bible says Matthew left behind his tax collecting and moved on. There's a separation of leaving behind. And this is what I've noticed, that the deeper we go in the Lord, the more the world just needs to die to us. That we don't need to know all the details about things. We don't need to be up to date on all the most information. We don't need to care about all the things with the game or this or that. Because we're really dealing in eternity in heaven and hell. Does that mean that you can't be involved in that stuff? No, I'm not teaching some type of legalism with that. I'm just saying that the deeper you want to go in the Lord, just like I see here in verse 2, there's going to become more of a separation. There really is. And you have to be separate from what the Lord is asking you to do. And sometimes that means saying no to things. And that's a hard thing for people to do sometimes is to separate once again we spend so much time and energy on this world making ourselves as comfortable as we possibly can getting the house the exact way we want decorating it the way we want getting the landscaping the way we want and then the idea of god calling me and separating me from that no This is what I've worked for. This is what I've lived for. I have worked so many hours at this job to reach this point of comfortability. I have spent so many hours to get to this. And now God's separating me? Sometimes we don't want that. And that's where the Lord says, if you don't want to go, I'll go to somebody else who does. And the thing is, as Christians, God's never going to force you to do anything. I just read a great thing in a commentary recently about the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit is your counselor, not your commander. He won't force you into anything. He'll call you, he'll lead you, he'll guide you. Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul. They could have said no. The Lord would just raised up somebody else. But they wanted to be separated. So what happened, verse 3? They fast over them, they pray over them, they lay hands on them. And then here's the word, they sent them. Sent them. They go. Boy, that's hard to do. It's hard to go sometimes. But if that's where the Lord has called you, then we need to be obedient to that calling. Because the problem is if we don't go, and how do you go, according to verse 4, being sent out by the Holy Spirit? You have to be sent by the Holy Spirit. Because if you just go on your own free will and you say, oh, this sounds fun, maybe fun for a while, but eventually you will wear and tear with your own energy. It has to be through the Holy Spirit. There has to be that calling. So let's bring this all together now and make a couple final points, if you will. Can you go with me to Romans 12? Romans 12. Let's take all this now and put this together. First thing we saw was we need to fulfill the ministry God gave us. We're supposed to take people along with us as we do it to train them up and to be trained. 
Realize the church, the gifts, the testimonies, the teachings of the church, the body of Christ is there to help us. Then through ministry and fasting and prayer, we know God's will for our life. We separate ourselves to God's will. We go in God's will. We are sent, and it's all through the Holy Spirit. Take a look here, if you will, at Romans chapter 12. And you guys are probably very familiar with this passage of what this means. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The first thing you see, I really want to know God's will for my life. It goes back to what we said at the beginning of the message, where Paul said in Acts 9, what do you want me to do, Lord? Verse 1, I give my body over as a living sacrifice. I, I, I just, it's all yours, Lord. My time, my energy, my money, my life, it, it is literally all yours. And so I have given my life over as a living sacrifice. I have died so that I may finally live in you. And this should not be anything new to us. Jesus talked about this back in the Gospels. He said in Matthew 16 this, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the contradictory nature of God. Hey, James, you'll lose your life, you'll find it. James, you'll die, you'll live. But it's true. When I quit living for myself and die, I finally can live for him, and then I finally get it. And we're going to build on that point. So I've offered myself as a living sacrifice. Okay, but then how do I know God's will? Look at verse 2 of Romans 12. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, right now we're finally getting to it. This is the world's longest introduction. You finally now get to the perfect will of God. So how do I find it? Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. We're not, we're not trying to live like the world. We're not trying to act like the world. We, we should live differently. We should act differently. We should talk differently. We, we should be entertained differently. We should not be conformed to this world. We are separated from this world. Next point, verse 2. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're a brand new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. I have died. I now live in Christ. I am now renewed and transformed in the Lord. And then I can know the perfect will of God. It is not a simple little, Lord, what do you want me to do? Amen, thanks, and I'll just move on with my day. If you really, really want to know your will, God's will, I should say, your calling, your ministry, we need to take everything we're talking about this morning and put it into practice. I need to not be conformed to the world. I need to renew my mind in Christ. I need to fast. I need to minister. I need to pray. I need to be with the body of Christ. I need to get out there and involve myself in ministry and see where the Lord's leading me. I need to be willing to be separated. This is not easy. This is why so many people want to know God's will because it's such a difficult thing. And please note, I'm not saying that God's trying to hide his will. I don't think that way in any way whatsoever. I don't think God is ever trying to make it difficult to find out what he wants you to do. He's asking you, are you willing to put the effort into it? Are you willing to do that? Here's the last passage we're going to go to. 2 Peter, please, chapter 1. And then we'll close up. 2 Peter 1 has a great verse that we use a lot for knowing what you're called to do in life. 2 Peter 1, verse 10. Therefore, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. That, that's the classic verse on knowing God's will for your life. Brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. Wouldn't you just love it if it was that straightforward? What am I supposed to do, Lord? 
Make it call an election, sure. Back up, though. Because as you back up, you see now what he's also asking you to do. Go back to verse 5. Same chapter. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence. First thing you see, you want to know what your calling and election is? Be diligent. Be diligent in the things of God. Add to your faith virtue. Have faith. Faith in who God is. Faith in that God exists. Faith that God's word moves. Faith that God speaks. Faith in eternity in heaven and hell. Have faith. Add to your faith virtue. Virtue is this idea of living a godly life, being morally good. Add to that knowledge. See, see how we're building up? So now I have diligence and I'm learning about the Lord and now I'm living a moral life and now I have knowledge. I'm starting to really understand the things of God, which takes me to verse 6, self-control. Now all of a sudden I'm just not living a moral life. I'm really starting to realize I need to say no to things. I need to say yes to things. I need to discipline my body to really be used by the Lord. Next you have perseverance. Perseverance, I'm not going to let things distract me. Because I'm telling you right now, if you want to go deeper in the Lord, you're going to get hit back. You really are. You know, we, every time we do a baptism, we tell everybody getting baptized, you're making a public stand for the Lord. And as you make that public stand for the Lord, guess what? The enemy's going to push back. Perseverance. And speaking of baptism, we're actually doing a baptism next Sunday. We had an individual that was not able to make the baptism we did this uh, here in September. So we're going to bring out the water trough and we're going to do a baptism next Sunday. We're not going to make them do it outside. We will be inside for this one. If you are interested in getting baptized, maybe you missed the baptism in September. Maybe you missed the one this spring. Or maybe the Lord's moving on your heart. Come come talk to me. Um, pray about it here for a while and see. So next is perseverance. After perseverance, godliness. Godliness does not mean some type of perfection. But all of a sudden it's like, wow, I'm Christ-like. Now that's not some cocky um, you know, idea. I'm Christ-like. This is Paul saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ Jesus. I, I'm really trying to be like Christ. And then brotherly kindness. I actually start caring for people. Not just about me. And then lastly, love. The ultimate. I, I just love people. But, but see how it builds? Diligence, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. So we've built this. This takes time. Verse 8. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, here's the thing. Barren, unfruitful. I know a lot of Christians, and I know they're saved. I know they love the Lord. But there's a barrenness to them. There's an unfruitfulness to them. Some translations say with that word barren, useless. They don't want to get in the game. Uh, you know, I've, heard, well, I've tried before in the past, and someone said something. Of course someone said something. Someone says something all the time out here. This is what we do as humans. We always have an opinion. We have to remember our opinions are not needed nor wanted, but we always like to share them. And so what happens is this. We become barren, useless, unfruitful, because instead of just looking for eternity, we just start living life. And you may say, well, I am not barren, useless, or unfruitful. I'm talking the spiritual definition of barren, unfruitful and useless not according to the world but spiritually for the lord verse 9 he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness some people just don't even get it they don't even see it yeah they love the lord they believe god's word is true they believe jesus is the way to get to heaven they believe all of it but there's a blindness to their calling to their ministry to god's will for their life 
They're blind to it because why? They weren't willing to put the effort into saying, Lord, what have you called me to do? Now you finally get to verse 10. Therefore, because of all these other things, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. See, here's the thing. I want God's best for your life. God's best for your life is fulfilling the ministry that he has given you. God's most fruitful aspect of your life is doing what he's called you to do. And I want you to know that calling. I want you to know that election. I want you to know his will. I want you to know the ministry you're called to be in. Because therefore you will be fruitful. There, there, there's a joy. There's a peace. There, I, I tell you, I don't know else to explain it. I only can explain it from my life. That it's not that life is any easier but there's a focused direction on what you're doing. It's like, Lord, I know what you want me to do, and now I'm, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to fulfill the ministry you gave me. So if you're here this morning and you don't know what your calling is, your gifts is, or your ministries are, don't walk away defeated. Walk away saying, okay, that's my prayer focus this week. I'm going to take these things that we talked about, and I'm going to fast over it. I'm going to pray over it. I'm going to read the gifts in Romans 12. I'm going to read the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read the gifts in Ephesians 4. I'm going to pray over them. I'm going to put my foot in the water and get involved in a couple of ministries and see if that's where the Lord's calling me to do. Because I don't want to be barren, unfruitful, and useless. But I tell you, when you get in the game, you're going to get hit. You're going to bleed. You're going to cry. It's going to be hard. But you know, that's when you stop and realize it's not about me. It's about eternity and what a blessing that is. So what I want to do is this here. Worship team, if we're going to come forward for the final song.